Hey, I'm Steph. I'm Alex. And this is Not Today. Greetings. How are you? <laughs> good. I'm good. I feel like I'm gonna die. Really? Well, my body is dying. Pain. <laughs> that maybe that's a harsh way of saying that I'm in pain and sore because I um worked so much last night until like three in the morning. Um then I got home and I woke up early, which was yeah weird not cool early meaning 9 30 well yeah but when you get home at three o'clock and then yeah. you don't fall asleep till four nine is early so yep um but you know whatever we're we're pushing on through friends yeah how many drinks do you think you made i have n- honestly couldn't even tell you no like idea 400 easy i don't know easily yeah well the paycheck will probably be nice i sure hope hopefully so. <laughs> sure hope so um but listen this podcast isn't about me Let's let's move Except on. Except when it is about me. Except when it's about me and me complaining about my life. Ah, um, no. But let's let's move on and let's talk about what we're going to talk about today, shall we? Yep. Okay. So we're talking about the Elan School today. And if you don't know what the Elan School is, that's good for you. But the Elan School was a teen rehabilitation program slash drug rehabilitation program for a minute there um that was opened in the 1970s and then lasted until 2011 and this has to do with like the teen or the troubled teen industry so shit's whack so for to say 40 years yeah 41 years um so we're going to talk about the school uh but before we talk about the specific things that happened at this school we're going to talk about the guy who started the school and before even that I'm going to tell you my sources. <laughs> so so the first place I actually heard about this school was on, uh, it's a little uh, niche podcast. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's called My Favorite Murder. Um, yes, very indie. Yeah, very indie. Like, I don't know if you've heard of them. But anyway, they have a good episode on it. There's also a good documentary called The Last Stop that is about the Elan School that I got some information from. Um, there is a website called suzukisthoughts.blogspot that has a lot of, like, so much information on this place. And then a Reddit thread that was titled, I am a survivor of the Elan School. So let's jump in, shall we? The man who ran Elan School was named Joe Ricci. And he himself was actually a former delinquent and heroin addict himself before he got, you know, into the troubled teen industry. So Joe Ricci was born in 1945 to a first-generation Italian family in the working-class village of Port Chester, New York. And he came from a broken home and was raised by his maternal grandparents after his mother signed over custody of him. And throughout his youth, Joe was in and out of trouble. As a kid, he was charismatic, but underneath that, he was a narcissistic, manipulative, and sadistic person. So not great. And even from an early age, he thrived on power and dominance, and he didn't care who he hurt who he hurt in order to gain it. He was also extremely greedy, and he didn't care about how he obtained his money, and he'd even steal it from his friends. Wow. So just the type of guy you want starting a business to help your child through an extremely difficult time. Exactly. Right. Right. Perfect. 
And while most kids found recreation in games like baseball or basketball, Joe Ricci found pleasure in shooting animals, acts of theft, and doing drugs. Naturally, (laughs) Naturally, right? So at age 12, he was actually sleeping with his middle school science teacher, which actually means that his science teacher was molesting him at 12 years old because he was 12. So, you know, no consent there. But um, he, yeah, right? Crazy. 12? Uh, Yes. Who who the fuck? I mean, a a pedophile. (laughs) It's disgusting. Um, but so he would often skip classes, commit vandalism, break into parked cars and bully younger children. And in 1961 at age 15, he was in a car wreck and was given painkillers and developed an opioid addiction, which quickly turned into a heroin addiction. And it was in 1963 at age 18 that Joe Ricci was arrested for robbing a mail truck because at this point he was fully in the I need to steal to get drug money phase. So he was he was pretty desperate at this moment. It's a phase. It's not a phase, mom. It's who I am. But (laughs) yeah, so he he was robbing a mail truck to get drug money and he was arrested at 18 and he was able to talk himself out of jail time. And because of that, he was given the choice of either spending seven years in jail or going to a rehabilitation center. So naturally, Joe chose Daytop Village. And Daytop's quote-unquote treatments were taken from the practices of Synanon, which was a drug rehabilitation center that pretty much turned into a cult. And the idea there was that AA or things like that weren't tough enough on their participants. And at the core of Synanon, there were these group sessions that were highly intense confrontation between group members. They would basically just scream at each other. And the belief was that this treatment would break down the addict's defenses to make them reveal their deepest troubles. And only then they'd be able to take steps towards sobriety. So they would pretty much just like mentally break each other by screaming just terrible things at each other. Right. Which and which is healthy. Right. And a treatment. Exactly. Really. So this practice was known as the game in Synanon. The game. Yes. Very descriptive. Yes. You guys could have come up with a better name. But today it's most commonly known as attack therapy. Wait, this is still a thing? Well, we're going to get into it, aren't we? Oh, shit. Yeah. So attack therapy is the idea that you've developed this terrible personality and we need to attack you and break you entirely in order to eliminate it and rebuild you as a good person. So that's Mm. that's that on that. Um, And Joe was noted as one of Daytop's, quote, greatest success stories. But while he was there, Joe Ricci noticed just how much of a cash cow rehab programs really were. So two years after he gets out of his rehab in 1969, he started his own rehab facility called Survival Inc., which he made a small fortune off of. And from there, his real goal was just to grow his wealth. So after that, he got really into the gambling business and purchased the Scarborough Downs racetrack, where he earned millions of dollars from horse racing. And all of his employees were scared of him. He ruled the place with an iron fist, and he was accused of being emotionally and physically abusive, as well as sexually harassing, and was known to send death threats to some of his employees. What the fuck? Yeah. That sounds illegal. Yeah. A little bit. Uh Uh-huh. 
Yep. They also believed that he had mafia ties. And in the late 60s, the FBI actually publicly suggested that Joe Ricci had mafia ties, which led him to suing the FBI for defamation and winning $15 million because of it. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's the- insane. <laughs> they were probably right. Well, y- yes. I, pro- I mean, maybe, I guess. I don't know. The FBI was actually unable to fully connect Joe Ricci to the mafia, but on several occasions, people who had crossed him would end up dead in suspicious circumstances. Wow. So it's almost like he has mafia ties. Or just murdered them himself. Could have just murked him. Yeah. Allegedly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All of this is alleged. Um, but kind of unrelated, but also just a, an interesting little factoid. He also ran for governor, which was like what the random fuck? and weird. Okay. Yeah. So he didn't win. No. Which is probably a good thing. Yeah. Um, but th- this is just, we're, we're learning about Joe Ricci so that we can understand the school, I guess. Yeah. But I mean, it seems like he really, really just wants power and money. Um, yes. 100%. Run for governor. Yeah. All he wants is money and power so yes you hit the nail on the head yes we're catching Um, on yes and like i said earlier ricci was very charming and convincing and people were just drawn to him and in the 1970s even a a seasoned boston psychiatrist couldn't resist teaming up with joe dr gerald davidson a child psychiatrist working for Massachusetts General Hospital and lecturer at Harvard University, teamed up with Joe Ricci, and together the two of them decided on establishing a new kind of rehabilitation option. And they thought that it would be one that would utilize the tough therapy that Joe claimed to owe his his own recovery to while offering education and ultimately a future. And they would call it Elan School. Elan is a French word meaning momentum, energy, style, enthusiasm. Um, To do something with Elan is to do it with flair and vigor. And if it's used in a sentence, it is he pursued his goals with great Elan. Sounds great, right? Mm -hmm. But for Joe Ricci, Elan school just meant more money. And during the 1970s, the youth of America were consumed by the rebellious hippie culture and openly revolted against the system that they had been raised in. And this created a sort of moral panic among the older generation, which led to the start of the troubled teen industry, which Joe Ricci latched onto. And it became an incredibly easy way to make money, but also a way to have complete control over vulnerable children. Joe Ricci and Dr. Gerald Davidson first started Elan to be a drug rehabilitation program, but it quickly morphed into a reform school that promised a better future for these troubled teens. And they settled in Maine for their school because Maine had a lot less strict laws and you needed less permits. So purely for the reason of like, we have less rules here, that's where they put the school. Right. Which is not a great start. That's troubling. And they opened up their first school called Elan One in 1970 in a small town of Sebago, Maine. And at the time, Elan was just a drug rehabilitation program. Most of the people who attended were over the age of 18 and most of them well within their 20s. And for them, Elan truly was their last stop before going to prison. And this version of Elan was the closest to Sinan or Daytop. So it was, you know, proven to, you know, I guess work for some people, but still problematic. But what's Sinan? Sinanon, the the rehabilitation program I talked about in the beginning. Oh, okay. Yeah. But from this drug program, 
1974, Ricci switched up their program to quote-unquote helping troubled teens aged 12 to 18. And this pretty much meant that they were accepting any teen that their parents had trouble with, I guess. Like there was a very big range of who was accepted there because if you had the money to go, you were going there and it didn't matter like what your problems were. So, you know, some some of these teens were, you know, what you'd think of quote unquote troubled. Like you'd have runaways. There was also pregnant teens, violent teens, gang members, rapists in some cases, people who had various seri- very serious psychological and emotional problems. Um, there were kids from mental institutions or juvenile de- delinquency centers. But also there were kids there who were who their only problem was that they talked to boys. Like they would come from a religious family and their their problem was that they would talk to boys and their and their family didn't like that. Right, because that's a crime. Exactly. So or kids who were just depressed or suicidal or misunderstood would just be put there because I don't know, their parents were overwhelmed and they're like, this seems promising. So we have quite the range. We have zero to a hundred. Yes. And possibly most disturbing of all, Elan started to move into kids with like autism and Asperger's or kids with other mental illnesses. So it it wasn't just like, you know, oh, my, my kid's running away and he's breaking out and he's stealing the car and he needs to be taught a lesson. It's like just kids who are having a hard time yeah who like needed help and like needed support and like they were sent here because their parents were i don't know overwhelmed yeah exactly it's it's just ugh. it's a very wide range of kids here um and like i said it pretty much didn't matter what your child was going through as long as the family had enough money to send them their case was deemed severe enough to warrant being at lawn and the pamphlet for Elan was very convincing. It almost looked as if you were sending your kid to a summer camp slash boarding school. It talked about horseback riding and hiking and trips they'd take. And Elan sat on 33 acres of land that used to be hunting grounds. So it was in the middle of nowhere and surrounded by woods. And it, it also promised to rehabilitate misguided children with Dr. Davidson's behavioral modification programs along with Joe Ricci's personal spin. They were like, oh, we're going to educate your kids. Like, they're going to go to school and we're going to teach them. But also, we're going to have therapy groups and we're going to, like, do horseback riding and, like, things like that. So it seemed very promising to these parents. But in reality, it was the complete opposite. And it was, like, hell. Yeah. And I mean, I'm sure when you meet with Joe Ricci, as a charismatic guy. Exactly. Yeah. He's extremely re- manipulative. Mm-hmm. Like, he probably sold them hook, line, and sinker. 100%. Every time. Yes. Um, So over 40 years, Alon subjected thousands of children to daily abuse, torture, dehumanization, and psychological and physical terror. Their leadership actively encouraged and participated in these horrific activities, taking advantage of their status in order to do so. And we're going to get into exactly what that means, but that's just the bare, like the basic, you know? And this place was expensive. Like, it was in the 70s. The tuition was around $44,000 a year. And that was in the 70s. How much money is that today? $4,400 in 1970. No, $44,000 a year. So I thought you said $4,400. You said 1000 Yeah, $44,000 a year. And that was in the 70s. So what is that in today's money? So in today's money, that is $309,000 about. So a house. No, no, yeah, yeah, for sure. No, for sure. And that's per kid, per year. 
per kid per year. Who yes. the fuck are these people that have this money? Yeah. I mean, like, at the time, that was, like, way more expensive than college, you know? Yeah, well, no shit, dude. Back then, but you could work off college during the summer. Uh, yeah, I mean... You can't do that anymore. Right, but it's, it's a really expensive place to go, which is also, like, yeah. why it was so crazy that there was so many people going there <laughs> doing all this crazy shit. So, in 1974, a student burnt down Elon 1, um, so that's telling, uh, and they opened Elon 2. And then the main campus in Poland Springs was opened, as well as a maximum security facility in Parsons Field. Wait, they opened a jail? I don't think it was a jail, but it was, like, high security. Uh-huh. <laughs> right? So we're going to put normal. We're gonna put a lot of security around a building to make sure that people don't leave. Right. And this is different than prison. Well, it's really close to prison. There's no bars, but you can't leave. Exactly. Okay. Yes. Right. Um, and parents from all over the world were sending their kids to Ilan for treatment. And within the first year of enrollment, Ilan went from four students to over 100 students. And it grew from there. Wait, so they're, they're like grossing like four or five million dollars? Yes. Whoa. In the <laughs> 70s. Right. Wow. And he's already made millions off of every other project he's well, I have to say this one's probably going the best for him. Well, yeah, that's the whole point. The, t- the troubled teen industry is a cash cow. And enrollment also grew extremely quickly because instead of sending their kids to juvie, or like instead of judges sending kids to juvie, they would send them to Elan and get kickback for that, which is basically like Elan would pay these judges to send kids there instead of juvie. Right. That's healthy judicial system right it's not corruption exactly so it was it was making a lot of people a lot of money and that's also why a lot of things when they started to come out like all the abuse and things like that were kind of pushed under the rug because of how much money was being made right and i'd imagine that it's you know people wouldn't believe the kids who are troubled exactly that that is a huge part of of manipulation that what they would use is like well your parents aren't going to believe you anyway because they sent you here they want you here they think you are a liar and will tell them otherwise like we have everyone here who will vouch for what we're saying and you're one person you know you're one troubled teen what are you gonna do right so it's it was just super fucked up and that's that's really just scratching the surface so if a judge didn't send you to a lawn Uh, and your parents were going to send you, then the first thing that would happen was a quote-unquote teen escort service, meaning four large scary men would break down your child's door in the middle of the night and kidnap them, meaning put handcuffs on them, like subdue them, and sometimes even put bags over their heads, and then throw them in the back of a van and take them to a lawn forcibly. Uh, sometimes they'd tell their kids or they'd tell the kids where they were going. Like they'd say, oh, you're going to school. And sometimes their parents would be there to like watch the experience. But sometimes they wouldn't tell them anything and they would truly just believe they were being kidnapped. And, you know, like we said, the this, this school was extremely expensive. So a lot of these kids came from very rich families. So they were like, I'm being kidnapped for ransom. They're going to murder me. And this is what's happening. Like it, it's, this is so fucked up on so many levels. I can't, I can't even begin to wrap my head around how someone thought that this was a good idea. 
How do you do that to your kid? That's what I want to know. Because that's just trauma. What was the philosophy around that? I don't know. I mean, I get the idea that, like, some kids would not willingly leave and they wouldn't, like they would kind of need to be forced to like a boarding school or something like this. Right. But this is straight up trauma. Like this is traumatizing. You could be like, you're going to go to this school. Right. And you're going to get better there. Exactly. And then if they don't, then you can escort them. But if you just kick down their door in the middle of the night without telling them anything. Yeah. Wake them out of their sleep with four scary men, put a bag over their head, like handcuff them, tie them up, like force them on the ground and then drag them out of their house while they're kicking and screaming, throw them in a van. Don't tell them shit until you get to the school and then expect them to just be okay after that. Like, yeah. And then like expect them to come back and like love you. Yeah. Be like, hi mom and dad. Thank you so much for sending me. Thanks for the summer camp (laughs) trauma. Oh my God. Yeah. So that was the first thing that happened. And that was truly only the beginning. So at Elan, the first thing that you would learn is that you're not getting out of there. Kids were told that there were big men waiting in the woods for them if they ran away and they would just take them back to school. And they were told it doesn't matter how many times you try to run away, we will always find you and bring you back, which is threatening. <laughs> like A little bit. 100%. Um, survivors say that it was as if you were entering a parallel universe when you first got there. Like everyone was miserable, but they were pretending like they liked it. It was just a very strange environment to come into. Students were then forced to shower while staff members watched them and they were given no image clothing, which was pretty much just bland, colorless clothing that erased all sense of individuality. Okay, so wait, they watched children shower naked? Yes, at like the first thing that they did when they got to school. Okay, so already a blatant crime. After this, students would be assigned a big brother, which was an older student who would act as sort of a guide to, I guess, help them. But mostly they would act as a jailer and they would play cruel tricks on them, like telling the newbie to try to escape with them. And then they would swiftly report them and get them in a lot of trouble. The social hierarchy there was extremely toxic because you were policed by the other other students around you. And there was a rank system that each resident had to work through in order to graduate the program. But before we get into the specific ranking system of the students, I want to read you a list of the rules. And the only thing you really need to know before we get into the rules is that there are two basic ranks, which is non-strengths and then there's strengths. And the non-strengths are the newest students. They are the lowest men on the totem, the totem pole. They have the littlest amount of freedom. And they are monitored by the strength students 100% of the time. Wait, is it all boys? No, it's... it's. I said lowest man on the totem pole just because it's a saying. Okay, right. <laughs> but it's... For sure. Yeah, For sure. it's not just boys. Um, so non-strengths are watched by the strengths. of the time. And breaking any of Ilan's rules was called a guilt. And all guilt, no matter how insignificant, was punished severely. Okay, so now let's get into this list of rules. And before before I get into this list of rules, you're not going to like it. So let's just just wait until the end and then we can discuss. Okay, but like who would like the rules? Well, right. But I'm just warning you. Fair warning. So hold your applause until the end. Exactly. So here's our here's our rules at Elan. Talking too quietly. Talking too loudly. Talking to a non-strength while being a non-strength. Talking too much. Not talking enough. Talking about subjects not related to Elan. 
talking to or even looking at someone of the opposite sex. Deliberately avoiding looking at someone of the opposite sex. (laughs) Being attracted to someone, looking outside, looking at the floor, having negative body language, reacting to insults, slouching or yawning, reading or writing, not falling asleep, sleeping too long, laughing at a joke made by someone of a higher rank, feeling tired, speaking without permission, eating after designated mealtimes, not eating at all, going outside without permission, rolling your eyes, attempting to run away, swearing without permission, smiling without permission, not smiling enough, making any sort of physical contact, or having bad thoughts. Did you catch any of that? (laughs) I I think I caught all of it, but I could not stop thinking about what I was going to say after the third rule. Okay. Because all of these are contradictory. Yes. So you can literally be quote unquote guilted Mm -hmm. for literally any reason. Exactly. Okay. So if you don't fall asleep Mm -hmm. or you sleep too much, Mm -hmm. how do you control how long you sleep? You don't. Right. Actually. Also, if you eat outside of mealtimes, then you get in trouble. But mealtimes, we're going to talk about in a little bit, but they're like minutes long, like one to five to sometimes eight minutes long. Okay, so they're starving them. Yes. Two. Okay, just great. Cherry on top. Then what? You can't look outside or on the floor? Bitch, where am I supposed to look? (laughs) You can't laugh at jokes? Yeah. Laughter is most of the time like an involuntary response. Yeah, I also, um, reacting badly to an insult, that was one of them. And part of this whole rehabilitation program, or the like, I guess the biggest part, is the Synanon, like, attack therapy. So all these kids do is scream vulgar shit at each other all day long. And we're going to get into specifically what that means and what that looks like. But, like, th- th- there's no way that anyone could go a single day without breaking at least, like, three of these rules. And that was by design. Like, that was the whole point. They wanted these kids to get in trouble, and they wanted them to be punished. And, like, that's they were trying to break them, like, mentally, physically, emotionally, in every way. They wanted to break these kids. So they, they, were, rule, they were made by design. That's just so fucked. Yes, it is. Also, like, strengths and st- just terrible word. So hard to say over and over again. Pick something else. Sure. So when you arrive, you are a non-strength. And then you would move up to strength positions, like I said. So you started as a worker, which was basically like cleaning crew. And then you moved on to ramrod. And these were the two non-strength positions. And in order to talk to someone who was another non-strength, someone in a strength position needed to monitor the conversation. There was always someone watching you, even when you had to use the bathroom. Someone needed to watch you at any given moment. Wait, like through a stall or like literally making eye contact with somebody while they pooped? I don't know if there were stall doors, but I wouldn't be surprised if there weren't. That's insane. And okay, but like to have a conversation with someone, you needed to have someone else listen to the conversation. And anything, any any talking outside of things uh, related to Elon was a guilt. So you'd get punished. Right. But if you didn't talk enough, it was also a punishment. And if you didn't talk, if you talked talked too much, 
if you talked without permission, that's also a guilt. But exactly. like, what if nobody ever gives you permission? Then you don't talk enough. You also break a rule. Right. What the fuck are we that's doing? That's the whole point. Is, I get it. Yes. But, you know, so, illustrating. Yes. So after Ramrod, you'd move on to expediter. And that was considered the policeman position. And this was the first strength position. And everything higher up from here was basically just enforcing the rules and snitching on anyone who broke them. And they had these clipboards and they would be stationed at different points in each room to watch over everyone and literally write down everything everyone did to make sure that everyone was following the rules and nobody ran. So they're like, it's, it's crazy. Then at night, these expediters would then turn into night owls and they would watch you while you slept to make sure that you didn't leave in the middle of the night. So you don't even get to have some peace when you're sleeping. What the fuck? Not only would they be praised and awarded for getting other kids in trouble, they would also be punished if they didn't get enough kids in trouble. So they were trying to survive just like everyone else, you know? And everything that happened at Elan, everyone had to participate to the highest degree, otherwise you got in trouble. So in order to move up the ranks and graduate, quote unquote, and like get out of there, you needed to do everything perfectly, meaning you needed to snitch on other people and you needed to get other people in trouble in order to get out yourself. So like, yes, I'm sure there were students who like enjoyed getting other people in trouble and like having some sort of power, but even the kids who were like just trying to make it through had to participate in this and had to physically harm other students. Wait, they had to physically harm other yes, students? Yes, and we're going to get into uh, oh my that God. as well. Well, I also imagine there's some dynamic of like, it happened to me. So, like, yeah. I want to do it to other people. Like, I'm, I'm sure. in a position of power now. Like, yes. I don't know. The The only comparison I can think of right now is, like, a fraternity, like, hazing. Yeah. Like, if you go through the hazing, you're like, oh, okay, I went through it. Right. Everyone else who comes after me should have to go through it. Yes. And that, I'm sure, was an element of it. And that was probably on purpose designed that way. Picture the Stanford prison experiment, but with... Children. Teenagers. Yeah. Because that's what it is. Um, but it, it never stops for 41 years. Um, How the fuck did it go on that long? I don't know. I mean, I do know, but we'll talk about it later. So everyone was just pitted against each other because everyone wanted to get out of there. And this was the only way that you could graduate. Any mail that was sent out or received would be opened and read before going anywhere. So before you got any mail, it would be read. And then before you sent any mail, it would be read to make sure that there was no sort of like sketchy communication between kids and parents. I don't know. Or like telling your parents about the crimes that are being no, committed No, that's, that's what you. I mean. That's literally what I mean. It's like yeah. making sure you're not telling your parents that you're literally being abused. And if there were any letters that were discovered speaking badly of Elan, they would be ripped up and then the student would be forced to write another letter praising the school and saying, you know, how sorry they were and they're having a good time and things like that. So it's a toxic place. And when they did move up in the ranks and got these privileges, oh, because, okay, sorry, I, I, I need to backtrack a little bit. So in order to write letters and, and like have a phone call, you needed to earn that as a privilege. When they did get these privileges and they moved up in the ranks, the first thing that they had to do was send a letter to their families saying that they were sorry and that they were bad and the school was helping them to become a better person. So that was the first thing that they did when they got this privilege. And then once they were able to call home once a week, calls were extremely monitored as well to the point where someone would stand over you with their finger over the hang up button in case you said anything bad 
they could end the call for you right away. And they were also given an extremely short amount of time on the phone. So they didn't want really any communication with these parents, honestly. You know what I mean? Right. These kids were entirely cut off from the outside world. So let's get back to the ranks now. So after expediter was department head, then shingle, and then coordinator. And then after all of those positions, you would graduate. And this is um, just a quote from the I am a survivor of a lawn school thread. So like an actual survivor's experience. They said, you have a minimum of seven promotions before you were a candidate for graduation. Each promotion took a minimum of three months and 90% of the kids never made it past the fifth promotion. These kids had to wait until they turned 18 and could legally sign themselves out. Other kids stayed past their 18th birthday, which is the truest testament to the effectiveness of the brainwashing. I remember one dude was 23. Oh my god, it just robbed him of his entire childhood and early adulthood. Yes, and as you worked your way up these ranks, you could very easily be what they called shot down, which meant that you'd drop back down in the ranks. And someone who was shot down would have to scrub the floors for 18 hours at a time. Almost all of the day, these kids were in their work positions. And a lot of these work positions were like menial labor, like, you know, scrubbing the floor with a toothbrush or cleaning the bathroom, like organizing papers. Like they were just, they were in these work positions all day long if they weren't in therapy or eating or in this quote unquote schooling, and then they would sleep. So for most of their time, they were just like doing labor. Yeah. So this schooling that they went through wasn't real at all. Their classes would be held from 7 to 11 p.m. after doing all of their manual labor all day long. And there also weren't any teachers, no tests, no homework, and they just had to take a book and copy out of it for four hours. So literally no one was educated. And this was considered like a high school. You know, like they were like, oh, we're going to give your kids an education. That way they can come here for school. Yeah. And not only is it school, it's worth $300,000. Yes. For them to copy out of a book for four hours. Yeah. So no one was taught anything. And so meal times were also five to eight minutes long. And sometimes were even dropped down to one to four minutes long. And like I said, eating outside of your allotted time meant punishment. This was another control tactic because they were underfed and they barely got any sleep. So they were much more easily able to be broken down. After they did their schooling and had their five minute dinner break, they would go to sleep if they could in military style bunk beds. So all pretty much a hundred, like a hundred to 150 students would be piled into one room in like a million bunk beds and no one could sleep and all like all night someone was watching you and it was horrifying. (laughs) It's horrifying. So that was just the jobs of the residents. But there were also directors, assistant directors and staff that were working at a lawn that were also watching you and enforcing the rules all the time, which I feel like is somewhat sometimes you have to remind yourself that that's also there because these kids were policing each other. It's like you don't even think about the fact that there were also adults present because the shit that was happening at the school, like I feel like no adult, no sane adult would let this happen. 
Um, and these rules were already impossible to follow, but students would often have to write down their guilt and out themselves on these little pieces of paper and like any private thoughts in their head, they would have to write it down and then show it to administration who would then use it against them to humiliate them or shame them or even sometimes blackmail them. And most of the staff were former residents themselves and none of them had former psych training or any real training at all and had just been through the program. And I'm sure this was helped by the lack of regulation in Maine? Yes, Great. absolutely. The punishments for these guilts were usually dealt with by a group of four other Elan students called the Dealing Crews, and they would scream insults, degrading slurs, and oftentimes things would escalate and get much worse. Punishments were also called LEs, or learning experiences, and were built on humiliation. For instance, those who tried to escape were called split risks, and students didn't even have to attempt to escape to get this title of split risk. They could have just been sad looking or looking outside and been deemed that they were thinking about running away, and that would mean that they were now a split risk. And they would have to wear shoes without laces, they'd be forced to wear bright yellow shirts and skimpy pink shorts, all just for humiliation. And if this happened more than once, they'd have to wear a pink rabbit costume without shoes and wear leg shackles. Students who didn't do well in class were made to wear gigantic dunce hats and subjected to verbal abuse from their peers. So everyone would sit in chairs uh, around the room and the person with the dunce cap would stand at the front of the room and they would all take turns telling that person how terrible they were in every single way. And just a reminder, these were kids 12 to 18 years old. So a 12-year-old with a gigantic dunce hat, essentially the same size as the kid, would stand at the front of the room and like an 18-year-old would rip them to shreds verbally and everyone had to do this everyone had to participate and you and the person standing at the front of the room had to just stand there and take it and have no reaction yeah or else they would have a guilt yes that's so fucked so it's forced bullying yes yes and i kind of laid this out in a way that i i'm telling you all about like the structure of this school first and then i'm kind of getting into like the abuse so we haven't even really gotten there um are you joking no <laughs> maybe i should have laid it out a different way but no now that's we're... fine i'm just i can't even believe that we're not into the abuse yet no not really um and if a student acted in a way that the administration deemed immature they would be forced to wear diapers over their clothes put binkies in their mouths and walk around carrying rattles another form of punishment was that was extremely common um, and would happen multiple times a day was called general meeting and a general meeting were these meetings with your house and everyone would gather together meaning sometimes a hundred kids and one person would stand at the front of the room holding a broomstick and then everyone else meaning the hundred other students would talk about what you had done wrong and tear you apart and then the person leading this meeting would ask you if the group had any feelings to share with this person and that meant that the group of teenagers had to charge the person and scream at them in their face and completely surround them in this like tight little like just a mosh pit of like screaming and yelling and slurs and cursing and everything you could possibly imagine that is terrible to hear and it's all coming at you all at once from like a hundred people and you're standing in the middle of them did i explain that nicely or yeah not I mean, nicely but you know what I, I mean do i have a blank face because i just can't even believe that this is what they do and this would go on uninterrupted for 40 minutes 
40 minutes 40 minutes of having like curses and slurs and things screamed in your face like literally in your face how do you not dissociate right i mean a lot of these people who attended these schools are very damaged from this Um, and it didn't matter if the teen broke down crying or begged them to stop it would continue until the teen was mentally and emotionally broken not only that but these kids who were participating in the general meeting if they didn't run up and scream and you know curse and all this stuff with enough enough quote-unquote enthusiasm they would get punished so it's like this vicious cycle of like you have to participate and you have to endure it to survive it's crazy day in and day out Adelan was constant confrontation your feelings and negative attitudes were completely broken down and dissected and torn apart the general meetings were different from the encounter groups which is when teens would sit in a circle and scream vile insults at each other at the top of their lungs So we have a a theme here, you know? It's all the same kind of thing, just in different settings. And even worse than that, if the if the administration felt your guilt wasn't punished harshly enough, they would report they would resort to physical punishment. And like the general meetings, the students were also forced to administer physical punishment to each other. Students who quote unquote acted crazy would be forced to wear straight jackets and be put in the corner which was basically solitary confinement for weeks or even months at a time. Months? Yes. They would be forced to sit up straight and face the wall or they would be physically beaten. And they could only urinate or defecate in a bucket in the room and uh, the bucket would sometimes be emptied onto their heads. Similarly to this, the teens would be subjected to electric sauce, which was a treatment consisting of having a bucket filled with trash, urine, cigarettes, mustard, dirty water, ketchup, rotten food, and human feces poured over their heads. What the fuck do you say about that? I don't even know. I don't know what to say. Yeah. Um, The worst punishment of all was called the ring. And the ring was when a student would be given boxing gloves and were forced to physically fight other students one after the other without any breaks. And sometimes they would be even put in the ring with their big brother. And they used this extremely manipulative tactic where if a non-strength tried to run away, they would punish their big brother and make the big brother scrub the floor, which at a later date would make that big brother more inclined to physically harm that non-strength in the ring. Oh my God. So they have this like weird fight club going on. And And I'm sure they're putting like a 12-year-old against an 18-year-old Something yeah. like that. Yes. And and not only that, but like they would put these kids against each other and then the one who was just in the ring to like fight the one in trouble would be pulled out and then they would put another kid in and then they would pull that kid out and put another kid in. But meanwhile, this one kid who's being punished is getting the shit kicked out of them. Yeah, you can't. There's no way that they had any chance. No. And that's the You're whole... You're exhausted. Like, yes. Yes. And the brutality of the ring took a terrible toll on students. Many of them even suffered permanent brain damage from the fights and countless others suffered long-term post-traumatic stress disorder. And that was not all. In 1982, the abuse of the ring took the life of a 15-year-old student named Phil Williams. Williams had come from a broken family, and when Phil was nine, his father was sent to prison after beating his wife with a pipe, leaving her brain damaged and vegetative. As a result, Williams grew up in foster care with his sister, and he was sent to Elan because of his constant fits of rage. 
On December 27, 1982, he was put into the ring and beaten so badly that he ended up losing his life. The school told Williams' family that he had died of a brain aneurysm and no charges were ever filed against administrators. They didn't even look into it? Nope. What a fucking just infuriating piece of negligence. And do you want to know? And what year was this? 1982. Okay, like still over a decade after they started the school, but this could have, this should have been the start of the end. Yep, it really should have. Um, but a kid dies under mm-hmm. your watch at a school, and we don't even fucking look into it. Mm-hmm. It's really, I don't even have like the proper word. The, yeah, I mean, yeah, the proper words cannot be added here. No, and the worst part of all is that everything that Elan did, the torture, the terror, the abuse was completely legal. I don't really know how that was legal to put students physically against each other and force them to beat each other. That doesn't make any sense to me. But like multiple sources were like, everything Elan did was legal. And that unbelievably is still legal. Um, And the state of Maine knew full well what was occurring at Elan and they did nothing to stop it. Although Maine authorities opened a total of 11 investigations into abuse at Elan, none of them ever resulted in criminal charges and no actions were ever taken against the school's administration. This wasn't because they found no abuse at Elan. The horrific stories of what was happening at the school were widespread and corroborated by dozens of eyewitnesses, but it was because there was nothing going on at Elan that violated any state laws. The beatings, the verbal and mental abuse, the corporal punishment, the humiliation, all of it was 100% legal. What? Do assault laws go out the window? Do abuse laws go out the window? I don't know. I mean, I guess I I don't know if it has something to do with specifically the fact that they were like a rehabilitation program and they were like using these forms of therapy, quote unquote. Like, I don't know what, how they bent the rules, but they also chose Maine specifically because they were going to do these things, you know? And Maine hasn't learned their lesson. Well, it's not just Maine. They didn't make. Like it's still legal? I don't, yeah, I don't know how this, this works because it's not just Maine. There are there are hundreds of these troubled teen like rehabil- rehabilitation programs all over the country and all over the world. Like they're everywhere. And things like this are happening today. Like it's not this, I mean, this is just, you know, one of the infamous stories of the troubled teen industry and whatever, but it's still happening. That's so fucked. Usually, if the law refuses to put an end to unethical practices by such institutions, the public and the victims turn to the press. But the media also failed to do their job when it came to Elan. Though major news sources like NBC News and CBS did feature Elan School in high-profile special reports throughout the 1970s, 80s, and 90s, they never highlighted the scale of the abuse that was going on there. If anything, the media brought into Joe Ricci's lie that such practices were just a form of radical therapy. Or abuse. Right. Maybe that. Maybe that. In 1979, NBC News broadcast a special report about Elan School and visited the campus to talk to staff, students, and even Joe Ricci himself. Though the news outlet voiced some concern regarding the tactics used by Elan on its students, NBC constantly reassured the audience that these treatments were intended to help, not harm the children. In fact, they titled their report, For the Child's Own Good, and painted Ricci and Elan as mentors and teaching seeking to rehabilitate troubled teens. This is horrific. 
Yeah, no, it is. Um, Ricci also used his money and power to influence the legal system to his benefit and was known to arrange incentives for juvenile court judges to get bonuses of about $10,000 or more if they sent offenders to his school, like we talked about, the kickbacks. Is that legal? No, I don't think so. I don't know, actually. Maybe we should it look should it up. It should probably but... not be legal. Yeah, I'm pretty sure judges got in trouble for, like, having kickbacks for sending kids trouble to school. But that they should be absolutely never allowed to be a judge again and face criminal charges. Yeah. They should go to jail. Mm-hmm. Period. There were a few kids who managed to escape Elan. In 1979, a 16-year-old boy had managed to slip past the guards in the middle of the night and ran 15 miles through the woods until he reached civilization. He was found at a nearby apartment complex by the police, and the officer on the scene, Lieutenant Max Ashburn, knew that he was supposed to return the teen back to Elan, but seeing the bruises on the boy's body and seeing the fear in his eyes, he ultimately decided to go against his orders. Ashburn drove the boy to a truck stop in Ashburn, Maine, where he could hitchhike back home and let him go. So that's good. But police were told to bring them back and they did like multiple did. But he he like had mercy on this kid and was like, I'll just see you off. Yeah, but then I'll just like not say anything and not report it that there was like bruises on this 15 year old kid. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's radical therapy or it's assault or it's like, I don't know. Yeah. On one occasion, the difference, right? On one occasion, a student was talking on the phone with his mother. And because he sounded robotic and not like himself at all, all he did was talk about the school and how good it was. His mother and father decided to make a surprise visit to the school and said, let me see my son right now. So his parents are outside and he was told over and over, if you say anything, you're going to be in for it. So in the meeting with his mother, he didn't say anything bad. And after he was taken out of the meeting, he's back at work and he's completely distraught because he's thinking to himself that this was his one chance to get out of there. And now he can't show his emotions because that's breaking the rules. So he can't even cry. But, you know, as he's thinking about this and absolutely losing his mind, the staff comes in and pulls him out of the room and they just throw him out of the school and and into his parents' car because his mother knew that something was wrong and she got him the fuck out of there. So thankfully he got out of there too. But Wow, I can't even imagine like the feeling of elation that he felt getting in that car. Yeah, and also the mother, like, she's like, this is not my son. Like, he's he was yeah. robotic. He's like, this school is great. I love it here. You know, like, that's terrifying to be like, yeah. what? I mean, thank God she picked up on it. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like a lot of the, the vast majority of the kids' parents did not. Right, yeah. Um, and other students weren't as lucky. One runaway uh, 15-year-old Brad Glickman also managed to escape Elan and evade the search parties, only to be shot and killed in a street fight in Norway, Maine, a few days later. And he's not the only teen who ran away and ended up dead. A 17-year-old Don Marie Birnbaum had also run away from Elan numerous times before, and in 1993, she finally managed to escape and fled to Pennsylvania. She hitched a ride with a trucker named James Robert Cruz in hopes that he would drive her to Mississippi, but unfortunately, she never made it that far. Cruz raped and strangled Dawn and tossed her body into a snowbank off the side of a major highway. FBI had later traced Cruz's trucking route and linked him to eight other murders. So she literally escaped the abuse of Elan and then got into the truck of a serial killer. Poor girl. 
brutal. I know. It is absolutely heartbreaking. And as brutal as Dawn's death was, it actually had a positive effect on shedding some new light on the Elan school. It was the beginning of the end of Elan. Finally. 1993. People asked what could possess a girl to run away so many times from a school in the middle of the woods and knowingly put herself in so much danger. How bad was this environment that she was escaping to put her life at risk? So that's... The answer is very bad. Very bad. Um, Marie Birnbaum's case was definitely the turning point in the history of Elan, but it was still far from over. Although resistance to Elan was slowly building, Ricci convinced newspapers to write glowing articles about Elan's supposed high rate of success and tried to divert attention away from the abuse occurring at the school. But that was short-lived. In October of 1975, a 15-year-old girl named Martha Moxley was hanging out with her friends the night before Halloween when she broke off from the group to hang out with her neighbor, Thomas Skakel. The following morning, Moxley's family found Martha's body lying underneath a tree in their backyard, and she had been bludgeoned with a six-iron golf club till it broke and her assailant used the broken pieces to stab her to death. Suspicion obviously turned to Thomas Skakel, but he was never charged, and the case eventually went cold. That was until Thomas's 18-year-old brother, Michael Skakel, went to Ilan after being arrested for drunk driving. But while he was at the school in 1978, he confessed and actually bragged in group therapy that he was responsible for Martha Moxley's murder. And these facts were not made aware to the police or the public for another 20 years. 20 years. Yes. And in January of 2000, the state of Connecticut charged Michael Skakel with the murder of Martha Moxley. And because Skakel was the nephew of the late Robert F. Kennedy, the case made national news. Wow. So just because of who he was related to. Yep. Because the case against Skakel was almost entirely based off of the testimony of his classmates at Elan, Skakel and his attorneys put Elan's school in the spotlight. Although it was Skakel's case and not Elan's school's that was on trial, the abusive history of Elan's school was still publicized and reported on by the media. Michael Skakel had also talked about the living hell that he had to endure while he was at Elan, so the cat was finally out of the bag. I mean, Michael Skakel was trying to use his abuse at Elan as like a, a tactic for the jury to feel bad for him, but it kind of just showed Elan or showed the public how bad Elan actually was. And they're also like, hey, Michael Skakel, you're still a fucking murderer. So we don't, we don't really feel bad for you. Yeah, there, yeah, there's, and it was after the murder too. So it's like, yeah, this is, yeah. But like, thank God that he did because I don't think anyone else would have known. It just sounds like the only time it would have come out would, would have been under oath where you can't lie or else right. you have, you're committing perjury. Yeah. And also like, thank God he was related to a Kennedy. You know, yeah, otherwise too. that wouldn't have, it wouldn't have made national news. Yeah, that too. Yeah. So this is when former students turned to the internet and started chat rooms and Reddit threads where they could tell their stories. Um, and in January of 2001, Joe Ricci actually died after being diagnosed with stage four cancer, um, which meant Elan school fell into the hands of Joe Ricci's second wife, Sharon Terry. And Sharon tried really hard to clean up the mess that Joe Ricci left behind, but there wasn't much she could do at that point. The mess. That's what That's an understatement. (laughs) That's okay. Listen, some of this stuff was taken from sources, okay? I mean, that's her words, right? It was probably the copying pasting. Okay. Um, 
But so anyway, she tried imp implementing reforms like abolishing the ring. But shockingly, that didn't work either. So wow. she's like, Don't, I'll just, I'll take away the ring. That'll, that'll work, right? Oh, there's no other abuse, no. right? And as time went on, the internet presence of Elan survivors only grew. So Elan's ultimate downfall would not be due to state officials, but in fact, the internet and the survivors. Really? Yes. By 2010, Reddit was the home to dozens of forums where former students discussed their horror stories about Elan School, and they organized petitions and told people to call the representatives and urge them to take action to shut down Elan and put an end to the abuse. On March 23, 2011, just 22 days after being reaccredited by the state of Maine, Sharon Terry announced that Elan School would be closing down. The, no the notoriety was simply too great for the school to continue operating. The survivors, in the end, were the ones who were finally able to put the end to the inhumane horrors of Elan School. Today, the Elan School is a 33-acre property with a bunch of abandoned buildings. And at least 39 former students of Elan have committed suicide since 1975, and many others live with lifelong repercussions of the abuse they endured. Several former students have been convicted of crimes ranging from arson to murder. Others have suffered from mental and social problems, unable to hold down jobs or relationships. And even those who did manage to lead successful, productive lives still suffer from the mental trauma that Elan inflicted upon them. The administrators who ran Elan and sanctioned the, br the brutal abuse of its students are all still free. Nobody, no staff member, no teacher, no administrator ever faced any criminal charges in connection with the cruelty that occurred at Elan School. To this day, they live as free citizens unpunished for the abhorrent crimes they committed against the children for more than four decades. And these schools, like Elan, are subject to very little, if any, regulation. It's important to remember that Elan did not close down because it violated any laws. It was not shut down. It was closed down. Everything the school did, the kidnappings, the abuse, the cruelty, the humiliation was legal, and it still is. The troubled teen industry, or the troubled teens who are sent to these institutions are subject to the same abuse today that Elan school made infamous. Oh, man, take a breath. That is the story of the Elan School. And it's it's not a very happy ending, because how could it be? But it's a very, I, I don't know, interesting, maybe that's the wrong word. It's crazy. Let's I mean, bring it back to crazy. Crazy. Shall we? I mean, it obviously is interesting, but like interestingly horrific. Horrific. It's yeah. horrifying. It's interesting like true crime is interesting. Like, I don't understand how the designation of a school allows you to do this. Like, I, I thought I corporal punishment was thrown out decades ago. Yeah, I don't know. And either. I mean, it's not, it's like, not even like they're doing corporal punishment. This is like way past the line, but like, even that, mm -hmm. like, that should be the first thing that should have gotten them taken out. But then they get reaccredited for four decades. And then most recently, in what, 2010, 11? Yeah. They got reaccredited by mm -hmm. the state of Maine. Yeah. What the fuck are these people doing? I don't know. Like, I'm sorry. I've said fuck so many times this episode, but I just, I don't know what else to say to emphasize, like, how pissed off I am that a governmental agency is allowed using this to happen. Like, yeah. this is legal. This is insane. The emotional manipulation, the ring, the fact that a child died on your watch, the fact that people are escaping and dying on your watch, and then, you know, you can, like, I don't know, 
go fucking talk to the kids who have gone through these programs and perhaps the testimony of the kid who was related to a kidney. Like, maybe look into that. Yeah. Like, is that not a enough? crime? Yeah. Is that not enough for you to go know. take a look and maybe see if any of these administrators or adults that watched this happen and actively encouraged it and enforced it might have broken a law? I don't know. Are the, all the judges in Maine paid off? Like, are... Is everyone who's sending kids to juvie just getting kickbacks? Like, what? what is going on here? Yeah, I don't know. And, well, the, it's not just in Maine. It's everywhere. I mean, there was a school in, in Florida that had a kid die um, on the grounds from punishments. There was... Uh, Paris Hilton uh, has spoken out about her experience at a a troubled teen school in uh, Utah that she experienced. She was in solitary confinement herself. Like it's still happening and it's going to continue to happen unless there's like some real like systematic changes. But I mean, I don't even know where to begin with that. And I I mean, I guess I, I can't really sit here and say that like boarding schools for rehabilitating troubled teens is like terrible as a whole, but like there's no place for child abuse in that like 100 like i i understand that like you can you know send them to a place to like get their attitude whatever like i i don't know but not you can send them to a boarding school but the boarding school should absolutely be subject to frequent audits and regulations yeah, there, and like laws there's no way a, a place that's supposed to be helping your kid would be abusing them there that is that is an oxymoron that is so ass backwards and to think that these places start out with a fucking kidnapping and then they're like oh yeah no this is fine that's not fine that's trauma that is what yeah it's just frustrating it's very frustrating it's very sad and my heart goes out to anyone out there who has been through something like this because there are so many places like this and so many people have been through them and i mean not all of them are as horrifying as elon but they're all terrible in their own ways like it's right yeah and i mean like if you don't have laws if you don't enforce or like actively discourage behavior like this it's going to continue to happen exactly um the only way right but that is the story of lawn school Shall we cl- a palate cleanse with a yeah, good thing? Yeah, I think thing? we've harped on this enough, but yes. I'm still like reeling. Yeah. Yeah. How do we? <laughs> What's your good thing? Let's <laughs> let's talk about a good thing. Yeah, I know this this part always like sometimes it, it feels like a good way to give it a button, but then other times it's like it feels... how do we talk about like yeah. Well, you know, it's like oh yeah, we went and got ice cream today. Like what the? F- well, no, <laughs> we it's doing? it's okay. It's okay. It's, it's okay. a palate right, cleanser. Yeah, I mean. We're not trying to be disingenuous. Yeah, no, like, listen, the story... Just, we literally just talked about how horrific this was for like 10 minutes. Of course. No, the story is over and now we're going to talk about a good thing. Okay. What's yours? My good thing is that we had a really lovely day. We went to um, the museum and then we got sushi and then we got ice cream and it was really nice. It's a good day day. It was a great day. Yeah, a lot of the art at the, the LACMA uh, is really cool. Yeah, it's like a um, modern art. I mean, I guess there's not just modern there's art, all, but there's it was all cool. kinds of shit. Yeah. But yeah, that was really cool. What's yours? Do My it. good thing is that one of our good friends is returning to LA within the month. Yeah. I really believe. soon. So we'll finally get to see her again, mm-hmm. hang out. It'll be fun. Yep. Uh, so yeah, that's my good thing. Yeah, friends are important, and it's nice to see <laughs> <Yes>. them. <laughs> yeah, it's it's good to you know have friends in person. Exactly. You know. Yeah. Good thing. Oh my god. <laughs> well, 
Thank you guys so much for listening. If you'd like to see all the pictures we post about all the stories we talk about, follow us on Instagram at nottoday underscore podcast. If you have a story of your own that you would like to share with us about something that you've gone through, send us uh, an email at nottodaypodcast at gmail.com. We have a Twitter account that is not today podcast, but the T on the end of podcast is a three. Because that makes sense. Because that makes sense. And we have a TikTok that is not today podcast and just keep breathing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>